You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. Today we're continuing on in the series called Genesis Foundations for an Unsteady World. And this is the fourth message. Today we're going to Genesis 26, which talks about uh, Isaac, Abraham's son. We talked about uh, Abraham uh, last week. And so uh, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of the word. We're just going to read a portion of this chapter. There's over 30-some verses in the entire chapter. So we're just going to set up the story, and then I'm going to develop the message utilizing the entire chapter today. So Genesis, beginning in verse uh, 20, verse 1 through 6, and then 12 through 15, let's read. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Now let's go to verse 12. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would direct the words that I speak and use them to not only touch people's hearts, but touch their life. God, let your word... uh, change our motives, change our values, and help us to be more uh, Christ-like in our expressions in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. So we're picking up the story today of where Isaac, Abraham's son, is continuing on with that promise that he gave to to Abraham in Genesis 12. Now, today, uh, I'm going to continue on giving what I call these factoids or insights about Genesis so the next time you're reading that book you can be appreciative or have a better understanding. Sometimes what I share has to do with the passage, sometimes it does. And this one has a, a somewhat of an influence, it didn't work anywhere into the message, but I think you'll find it interesting. So in the story of Abraham and Isaac, we see the first interactions of the Jewish people with the Philistines. They most notably become popular, especially when David 
as king and Saul as king and they had a lot of interactions and battles and conflicts with the Philistines. Well, that actually, that whole conflict started all the way back with Abraham and it continued on with Isaac. So just a little uh, insight on where this whole thing started. And by the way, I'm going to give you the reason it started, okay? Not just like they came out of the womb and they just hated each other. No, there was, a, there was a backdrop here of how that conflict and that tension even started. Another thing that you might want to know is this. If you look in the Middle East, how many know you don't, see any, you don't have any groups of people calling themselves the Philistines? Okay? And you kind of like, yeah, being so influential in the formation of Israel, uh, it, when they were forming a nation, it would be interesting, like, where did they go? What happened to them? And so the Philistine people assimilated into the Persian Empire, Today, that's called Iran. Uh, the Iranians do not consider themselves to be Arabs. They consider themselves to be Persians. So I just saved you from embarrassing yourself. Okay, never say to an, uh, an Iranian Arab, they're Persian. They're very, they're very proud of that and they're distinct about it. But uh, they, they, their empire lasted approximately 559 B.C. to 331. And it's there that they lost their identity, and it's the key word here, they're, they're as a separate culture. That's where they lost their, their uh, formation of who they were. Because ironically now today, we have this thing called 23andMe. How many have ever done the DNA check? Oh, I know more of you have done the DNA check. What is this, Ephraim? My wife and I did this DNA check. And what's cool is it's, it has a way of showing you what your heritage and ancestry and because of how they do it, they can actually tell you what part of the world you're from. And this has really helped in the biblical world, okay, to be able to trace and learn some things. And I'll share that here in just a second. But like my wife and I, we did it as a gift for one, one, one another one Christmas. And uh, when we got our results back, you know, it was kind of freakish. We both found that we were not only from Ireland, we were from the same place in Ireland. Yeah, I was like, oh, great, did I just marry a distant cousin? <laughs> At least our kids turned out normal. <laughs> but yeah, that was one of those like, okay, that was kind of creepy. So we've never done another 23andMe. You know, they have all these add-ons. We're like, yeah, we don't want to know no more, man. We know all that we want to know, and that's it. We're good. We're happy. Some things, how many know, you just don't want to know. But anyway, this DNA thing has really helped because it can be used in the biblical world because now they can, uh, when they find like ancient graveyards, they can test the DNA and then they have the modern day world and they can see. So this might be of interest to you. Philist Philistine people's DNA gathered by archaeologists from burial sites, however, is very similar to the DNA of people now living in Lebanon. Not saying the people of Lebanese, of the Lebanon, uh, the Lebanese are Philistines, but it's just ironic that they have some of the same DNA features. So, you know, we see that the culture was lost, but how many know people do continue living? Has nothing to do with the message. I just wanted to tell somebody that today. <laughs> you know, you're, when you do all this study, you learn things, and you're like, okay, can't work that in. So I always like to do these little factoid windows. It's just something I wanted to tell you. So. They're involved, the Philistines are involved in the heritage and the history of the, of the Jewish nation. And so we're going to look at that a little further in the story of Isaac. And trust me, it has a lot to do with you and I and our lives today. So number one, read, the, read number one with me. There is no entitlement with God. 
I'm assuming everybody in here knows what entitlement means. It means I deserve, I should be gifted, I should just be granted, I should just have it handed to me. But one of the things you see in the Bible is God's never uh, practiced entitlement. He's always made promises, he's always made commitments, but with every promise and every commitment, there's always this, there's, it's not even in the fine print, it's just in the big print too. It says, as long as you fully obey me, as long as you pay attention and follow my commands. It's never just, uh, no matter what you do, God's going to come through on this. God's like, I do that, I will do this, I promise you this. But he says, as long as you fully obey me, as long as you follow my commands. It's always conditional. And we see this in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. It says, now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Now this is interesting because the promises that were given to Abraham had everything to do with, I'm going to bless you, your, your descendants will be as numerous as the stars, the grains of the sand, and those who bless you, I'm going to bless them. And the first thing God does is ship them to a place where there's a famine. You know, you're just almost kind of like, well, at least you could send me to some place that maybe has potential. You know, like, uh, but these promises and your idea, God, is to start me in a place with a famine and what I want to emphasize here today is this God gives us promises God wants to help us but that doesn't mean that you don't have to put some effort into it that doesn't mean you don't have skin in the game because again it's all it all boils down to this it says a man reaps what he sows it doesn't say God's just gonna let you reap and you've never bothered to sow it says a man reaps what he sows so you have to have some effort into that and follow his commands. And God says, I'll, if, you, if you put some skin into the game, faith without works is dead. And you fully obey my commands and you do what I say, God says, I'll bless you. But this is not a blessing that no matter what you do, he's just going to let it fall on you. There's no entitlements in the kingdom of God. We are, listen, we, this is probably one of the hardest things a lot of people have today. You and I are where we're at because this is where we behaved ourselves to. <laughs> Think of that, right? We are all where we are because of choices that we've made. And, I, and especially as you get older, you start entertaining these. I wonder if I would have made a different decision at that stage of my life if things would have gone any different. You start to think that way. Some of you go, really? Yeah, wait till you get our age. You do, but you start to understand, I'm where I'm at because of my behavior and the choices I've made. That's why I'm where I am. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. But the Israelites, the Jewish people, they, if you go through the Old Testament, you'll see they carried an entitlement mentality. That no matter what they did, they always expected God to back them off. Back them up. I mean, after all, we're God's chosen people. They acted like God had no alternatives. They acted like well, since we're God's chosen people, he has to take us as we are. And the Old Testament shows you that God says, oh, I don't have to take you as you are. Watch me change you. And we find that they were shipped off to the Assyrians, and they were shipped off to the Babylonians. God let them be, he didn't let them be destroyed, but God let them be captured. Because their mentality was, you owe us, God. And God's like, I don't owe you. Let me show you that I don't owe you. But somehow, even in the New Testament, that mentality still prevailed. And there's a guy called John the Baptist, okay, who preached. 
And we're going to get to him and show you an illustration of how God used him to address this entitlement. But you'll see in this particular story, getting back to it real quick, Abraham received that promise 2058 B.C. And now we're at 1958 B.C. It's been 100 years and the advancement is we live in a land where there's famine. So it kind of maybe makes you think that maybe the, the, fam, the, the deal's off with God. And God's like, no, the deal's not off. It's still on. God says, my promises transcend your last breath. Isn't that cool? God's promises are not confined to my breath. They preceded me and they'll go on afterwards. And we see this again. So let me jump, as I said earlier, to Matthew. Everybody thinks John the Baptist, when they read the story, it's all about water baptism. He's the guy who introduces the concept of water baptism. But we need to look at his message because he was addressing this entitlement mentality. Okay? So follow along. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to, to where he was baptizing, he said to them, you brood of vipers. Let me, a bit of advice. It's probably not a good way to start a conversation. Okay, you just, but he was talking to the people who were influencing Israel's entitlement mentality. They were fueling it. And John the Baptist is calling him out. He says, who, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. You see that? He was saying... You think that you can do whatever you want, and God's going to back you because you have Abraham as your father. Notice what he says. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. And I showed you last week, it says, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a child of Abraham by faith. And so when he says, out of these stones, he's literally pointing to the Gentiles who are present, saying, out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. By the way, how many of you are Gentiles? Welcome, stones. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's what he was saying. And he goes on, notice, look at this. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. No longer is God going to accept their entitlement mentality. Oh, well, I'm a child of Abraham. John the Baptist was saying, Big deal. God is not impressed. He is saying produce fruit in keeping with repentance. You guys are showing no change of heart, no change in your behavior. And he says, in fact, God's going to cut down that belief and he's going to start at the act. He's starting to cut. He's, gonna, he's doing it right at the, the root of the tree. God will be very clear. There's no more entitlement. So what does that mean? Well, number two takes us there. Everybody read this. Every generation must navigate their own journey with God. See, it doesn't matter who you say. Well, my, my, my grandfather was a missionary. My daddy was a preacher. We come from a long... It doesn't matter. You say, well, yeah, but my heritage is the other way around. I come from a horrible uh, background. Uh, people been arrested. People been... Con God says, none of that matters. I deal with you for who you are. Now, that doesn't mean generations don't have the ability to hand some type of momentum off to us. Yes, they do. But here's the beauty. We're never stuck with the momentum. If it's negative, I'm not stuck with it. 
If it's a good momentum, I can build on it. But if I'm not careful, I can also screw it up. As if I was handed no momentum. And so he says here to Isaac, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, why does he appear? It's been a hundred years. Doesn't look like this promise is going to be happening anytime soon. And just as God appeared to Abraham, God appears to Isaac. Now notice how God personalizes the promise that he gave Abraham and he personalizes it for Isaac. Notice how he talks to him. Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while. Now notice how he says, and I will be with you and I will bless you. He doesn't even bring up Abraham yet. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands. Notice he's still talking directly to Isaac, right? And will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. He mentions this started with your father Abraham. But I am telling you, Isaac, this is your promise. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So he personalizes the promises he gave to Abraham. He personalizes it for Isaac and says, I'm dealing with you because of who you are. Those are not just your dad's promises. Isaac, they're yours. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. Isaac, I'm going to bless you. No matter who you are, no matter what your past, no matter what momentum you have going on in life, you need to recognize that God deals with you for who you are. You reap what you sow. I know sometimes other people sowing can mess up some things in your life. We're all aware of how other people can, can influence the momentums of our life. But in the end, it's this. God deals with me for who I am, not because of a heritage I do or do not have. He talks to me. And, here, and that's the other part of this. God wants to talk to you. You may be like Isaac. I haven't heard from God in 100 years. And God says, fine, I'll talk to you. You... Every generation, child, teenager, young adult, midlife, more seasoned, extra seasoned. God deals with you for who you are. You are where you are at because of the choices that you've made, and you are where you're at because of what you've believed and what you haven't believed. And everybody said amen. amen. Number three, read it out loud. Fear sabotages, it sabotages God's activity. By this point in the story now, we're down to verses 7 and 8 and 9, you'll notice it never says yet that Isaac is blessed. There's a, he's in a land of famine, and he's living a life of famine. And God is reminded him of the promise, but the famine in his own personal life has not changed. Why? When the men of that place asked him about his wife, meaning Isaac, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. Hey guys, let me give you some advice. Never introduce your wife as your sister. 
That is a serious curveball in your relationship. Even if you say, yeah, but I had to do it to save my skin. Hey, man, where's, you know, have, where's the chivalry here? I mean, have, have, be a white knight. You know, come on, man, stand up and... This guy's like, ah, uh, nah. So what does he do? Listen, he literally sells his wife's integrity. He goes on, when Isaac had been there a long time, do you see the word long time? He's feeling pretty good about the deal. Okay? Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech, king, or summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Notice the exclamation point. It's pretty bad when the Philistine has a better sense of morality than the follower of God. Why did you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Oh, I love. Let's blame her. <laughs> if she wasn't so beautiful, I would be all right. I mean, this guy's he is a class act. But what you see here is this. Nothing has gone his way. Why? Because... He has sold his integrity. And God says the blessings are based on following his commands and obeying his teachings. And Isaac's not doing that. So he's got this promise from God, and he says he's been there a long time. And guess what? He is living a famine life just like the Philistine. Nothing's changed. And it goes to show you, God does not do entitlements. And the second thing is, he deals with every generation according to their own behavior. And Isaac's learning this the hard way. Why has nothing happened? Because literally he has sold out his morality to save his own skin. When did we ever get the idea that somehow doing what was right was never going to cost me something personal? I know we always say, it always works out to the end. How many times have we read the story of martyrs who to the very end would not cave on their morality and their spirituality and they lost their life over it? But they basically just said, hey, that part of me is not for sale. And I'm, that's a hill I'll die on. I'm not selling my soul to you. I can't be bought. Isaac was, I'll sell you anything you want if you leave me alone and let me live. I'll sell you my wife. No wonder God couldn't bless him. Even though he's got these promises, God's like, I can't bless you, Isaac. So let's move on. Number four, read this out loud. God uses, God uses his people to solve problems. In verses 12 and 13, Isaac planted crops in that land and the same, look at it, the same year reaped a hundredfold because why? The Lord blessed him. Isn't it interesting? He got his home life right. He got his marriage right. And God blessed him. You see that? After being there a long time, nothing was working. He straightened out his, his integrity. He straightened out his home life, and it got right. And the first year that he's doing it right, he gets a hundredfold increase. God blesses. The promises were sitting there the whole time. And God just says, but you're messing it up by not listening to me. 
And then it goes on to say, the man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. So what you see here in the story is this. Do you notice the Philistines are in the famine? Do you ever think that they might have ever crossed their mind by stopping up wells? They might have created their own problem. I mean, if you're trying to solve a famine, you don't stop up wells. You unstop them, right? But they're not doing that. And there's a background behind why they're not doing this. But the point is, they're willing to suffer than admit wrong. They're willing to put the whole nation under a famine rather than admit that they did something that was wrong and, un- and, and, and deceptful and deceiving. So here's the part I want you to see. Isaac never thought that God just wanted to end his own famine. God wanted to use Isaac to solve everybody's famine, including the Philistines. And I'm going to show you in a minute, that had to be a tough pill for Isaac to solve. He could understand why God would want to solve his famine. He just didn't understand why he wanted to solve the Philistines because they were the problem. But how many know the Bible says, do good to your enemies? So we read here that God had called Isaac to reopen wells. And then in verse 26, or chapter 26, verses 19 through 22, Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. Don't you just love people who think they're entitled? So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also, so he named it Sitna. By the way, that's the root word in the Hebrew, which later was used to develop the word Satan. Ooh. So you're going to see why here coming up. So Isaac's getting frustrated. I'm doing the work, and they're taking it from me. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it, so he named it Roaboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and he will flourish in the land. So Isaac's frustrated because he's doing the work, and then they're taking it from him. But what he doesn't see is this. Remember it says, I will bless you, I will bless those who bless you. And they've allowed Isaac to stay in the land, and they've allowed Isaac to to reap a hundredfold. Now, granted, their business dealings with him are still shady, but the point being is this. God said, I would bless them, and they are, and I'm going to... And so he was using Isaac to solve their problems. How does that translate to us? God uses us to solve community problems. God doesn't use us to make problems worse, worse than they already are. God says, why don't you see what needs to be done, and why don't you go solve the problem? Well, God, those people don't even like us. God says, I'm not asking if they like you. Maybe I want to use you to solve their problem. Well, God, they're going to be mean. God says, I really don't care. You have been put here to be a community problem solver. We're coming out of COVID right now. And there are a number of wells that flowed in our system, our economy, that COVID stopped up. And there are wells that no longer produce life and no longer produce hope in communities. 
Maybe God's giving you an idea on how to go unstop something that once blessed this community. Maybe he's saying, why don't you go out there and do the homework? Why don't you figure out what needs to be done? Because people are getting back to their lives and there's certain things that they're going to need. Why don't you go unstop the well that COVID stopped up? But then on the other side of that too is this. There's wells that nobody's tapped. God didn't put us here to get a well for ourselves that says, ah, I'm refreshed. Too bad you can't find water. No, God put us here to say, there's enough water here for me. And there's enough water here for you. God put us here to solve problems time for, I mean, and I, I want to be careful how I say this, because I know there's people who still struggle navigating this whole thing. But we need to start having more creativity about what we can do than creativity on what we can't do. We need to shift the creative thinking from, well, I don't know. I don't know if that's safe. I get it. But there's no miraculous in fear. He put us here to solve problems. Find something in the community. Find something that is struggling. Find something that needs your giftings and your abilities, your input. Because one of the things that you'll notice about what... So here, I gotta, why are the wells such a big deal? Because in their particular day, wells changed everything. Number one, it redirected traffic. People would always go a particular direction, not because it was the shortest distance. They went a particular direction because that's where the water was. They always had to be mindful, where are we getting our next batch of water as we travel? So your travels were based on water locations. When you put in a well, it changed traffic. The other thing is this, the, water, the territory around the water suddenly became valuable. Now, home, now, now homes could be built. Now suddenly somebody could plant crops. Which if you had home and crops and water and people traveling, suddenly you're getting into international trade. Which allows other people. Y'all start to see how this works? And so a well was a big deal. Can I tell you something? God has ideas for some of you to do. It'll change foot traffic. It'll change people's travels. It will allow a place that is considered to be a desert right now in the economy, but because of your idea and what you're capable of doing, all of a sudden, a desert in the economy becomes a place that's flourishing in the economy. Why? Because of you. Because of the ideas that God gave you. God can give us ideas that change the courses of people's lives and the momentum of their lives. God is not interested in just solving your family. He wants to use you to solve other people's families. And everybody said amen. amen. All right, last point. Here we go. Read it out loud. In your darkest moments, God is speaking and God is working. Isaac is frustrated because every time he digs something, it's taken. He doesn't even get to go to court and complain. There's no justice. They take it. And so he goes and digs again. 
and it happens again. And we're going to pick up the story, so finally, I don't know about you, but I can somewhat identify with Isaac. How many of you have ever sat up in the middle of the night and just said, come on, God, help? You know, you're just, the, the events just keep rolling in, and you're just like, I need help, I need direction. You know, one of my favorite things to do is just go downstairs, shut off the lights, sit in the chair, and I always, when I'm in one of those moods, I'll just say, okay, God, help. Hey, I, he already knows all the details. I'm just going, I just don't know what to do about it. Help. It says, that night the Lord appeared to him and said two things. Suddenly God shows up and God talks. You know, you can have a lot of confidence in life when God shows up and God talks. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, I was expecting an answer, but I wasn't expecting it like that. That's so good. I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid. See, he already knows what's trying to come back into Isaac's life, fear. For I am with you. I will bless you. I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. See, he's, he's frustrated. Why dig? They're just going to take it. And because of his experience with God face to face, he builds an altar, and lo and behold, there's another well right there. Notice what happens. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzath, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Please remember the name Abimelech and Phicol. Everybody say Abimelech. Everybody say Phicol. Okay, you're going to need to remember this. Okay, uh, the commander of the forces. Isaac asked him, why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? So he's just going, great. I got another well and here you are. You never talk to me, but, but the day I get a well, there you are. So he's already assuming he knows where this is headed. Look at verse 28. They answered, we saw clearly that the Lord was with you. The conversation among these Philistines is this. We haven't been able to find waters in, water in decades. Everywhere this guy walks, water shows up. We take it away from him. He finds it again. We take that. He finds it again. He finds it again. They start to recognize, we need to make peace with this guy. His God is powerful. So they said, there ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you that you do, uh, do us no harm. Yeah, right, like who's been doing all the damage? Just as we did not harm you, but always treated you well and sent you away peacefully, and now you are blessed by the Lord. Don't you hate it when somebody can stare you straight in the eye and just lie? I mean, have the decency to look up as you're lying or look to the right, left, but to man, to square up, look you in the eye and just go, I've treated you with dignity. And you go, yeah, you have robbed me blind. But they're straight up, by the way, you're starting to see why God had such a severe penalty on the Philistine. 
because this was their culture. Everybody got me? This wasn't an anomaly. This was standard business practice for the Philistines. Their culture was corrupt. You go on in the story, but before we go there, i got to take you to Genesis 21. How many remember what, Abimelech and Phicol? How many remember those names? What if I told you this isn't their first rodeo with, Ab- or with Isaac? When Isaac was about seven years old, seven, eight, seven to ten years of age, this experience his father Abraham had. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, does everybody recognize the two names? When, when Isaac was around seven to ten years of age, Abraham struck a deal with these guys. Not their first rodeo. What did they say? His, and said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. How many know we've heard that before? Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal with me, deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Does anybody catch the hypocrisy? It was his idea to make that deal. And now years later, he's dealing with Abraham's son, Isaac, and he's doing that. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. I mean, you know, we've heard that story. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I have only heard about this today. (laughs) Anybody picking up on a serious leadership integrity problem here? Okay. That's what I said. You see, it's a part of the culture that they treat outsiders with total disrespect, no regard. It's whatever you got to do to take advantage of anybody who's not a Philistine. The Philistine nation was about itself and cared nothing. Even a treaty, even their word meant nothing. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? And he replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Everybody say Beersheba. That is really crucial. Beersheba is very, very, very important. And I'll tell you why. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. And there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. So Beersheba was a well. That's where a treaty was made with Abimelech and Phicol. And he planted a tree. So there's a well and a tree there. Okay? And it serves as a sign about this treaty. Let me back this up. Remember it says they went back and they had plugged up all the wells that Abraham had dug? Remember that? The reason being was this. 
they knew that Isaac could lay claim to that, and they didn't want Isaac, so they plugged the wells up. It was basically this, kid, you don't have anything here that belongs to you. Well, yeah, but my dad dug a well. What well? There's no well here. You, my dad had a tree. There's, there's no tree. There's no well. What are you talking about? If there's a tree, there has to be a well. There's no well. They plugged it up so that he couldn't come back and lay claim to the land. They are, these Philistines are beyond deceit. They are beyond manipulative. And so now Isaac is dealing with these same two individuals. Remember I said, remember Beersheba? It's a well and a tree when Abraham leaves it. Okay? Let's jump back to the story in chapter 26. Isaac then made a feast for them and they ate and drank. He's got a treaty. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they went away peacefully. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. While they're there, his servants were digging, and, and before he could get back to the camp, the, to the camp, the Philistines had left, and they said, you're not going to believe this, we just found water again. We found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been what? Called what? God said, Isaac, I'll bless you. I'll bless you. If you follow me and you do it my way, your enemies can never win. This used to be a well and a tree. And through the course of time of Isaac's and on, do you notice the word town? This place turned into a city. God says, those Philistines think they can beat you. God says, I'm going to turn this well on that tree into a city. And that city was going to be on the doorstep of Philistine country. Later on in Israel's history, this town became notorious for its influence. Other than Jerusalem, it carried a very influential seat. When David would leave the city of Jerusalem and he would go to the southern part of his kingdom, Beersheba is where he would set up his throne. Beersheba is where Samuel and his sons judged Israel. I could go on. There is so much history associated with Beersheba. It just wasn't a little town and a little village. It became one of the most influential cities in Israel outside of Jerusalem and it had huge influence and huge it was a huge problem to the Philistines they didn't like that big city on their border by the way you know why now God went against the Philistines because their whole thing was they were trying to steal Israel's heritage and blessing and cheat them and God finally had enough of the Philistines and said you're done you're a cheat, you're a fraud, you're trying to cheat my people when I'm trying to bless them. And God says, I've got their back. You will cease to exist as in a culture. In your darkest moments, God is speaking and working. I don't care how bad it sounds, I don't care how bad, how bad the trends are, can I tell you? If I, if I could leave you with something, it's this. God has your back even when you don't think he's there. But you know how you see him? Obey him. Trust him. Don't quit. Be faithful even when it's hard. Don't quit. And better yet is this. 
Go out and solve a famine that our community has. Be a problem solver, not a problem creator. And everybody said amen.